Tune in to the Bridging the Gap radio show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Be a part of this challenging but life-changing show discussing men versus males, educational issues, parenting tips, and learning how to be faithful in trying times. That's the Bridging the Gap radio show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. Call in and be a part of the show at 347-855-8867 on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Remember, positive communication is the key to success. Powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. This is the 15-minute lunch break with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon here on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Today, I want to talk about the attitude of the chosen. I love to eavesdrop in the barbershop and ear hustle in the grocery store line. And at times, I hear some laughable stuff, but most of the time, I hear some truly profound proclamations, especially when I ear hustle millennials or young folk as they chat on their cell phones. There's much talk about being chosen, being chosen by an admirer, being chosen by friends, being chosen by someone they, they admire. Being chosen expresses a special relationship. It is being known and loved in a unique way. It is being singled out. Being chosen evokes a level of pride and self-esteem. How ought one to behave if they're chosen? I'm convinced that there's an attitude that initiates chosenness and that ultimately preserves it. I want to reference a few scripture texts to get my point across and to catapult us where I'm going today. First, Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 through 4 in the NIV says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The next scripture I want to lift up is Deuteronomy chapter 14, just one verse, verse 2. Again, in the NIV, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Another text is in Psalm 139 and just the 14th verse. It says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. It was Haley Williams in her book Lessons on Living that said, sometimes it takes a great fall to really know where you stand. How have the mighty fallen was David's lament to Israel upon the death of King Saul and his great friend, Jonathan. David, if anyone understood the gravity of the moment, he knew that it spoke volumes of God's choice of him more so than the demise of Saul. Those that were around David were moved because they saw at that moment the shift in power from the tribe of Benjamin to the tribe of which David was a member, the tribe of Judah. Israel was aware of the moment in time, but David, and I dare say many of Israel's enemies, and certainly God, knew that the power shift had happened quite some time before that. It had been years prior to David realized that he was chosen. He was a mere lad in his teens when Samuel the prophet poured the ram's horn of oil on him and pronounced that he would be the next king 
of Israel. It would be years between that time and his eventual ascent to the throne. What was David's attitude after being chosen, but yet still waiting to be appointed and working on and in his God-ordained assignment? He was chosen, but he had to wait. He was chosen but he had to go through a season of perseverance. He was chosen, but then he went through a season of trouble. He was chosen, but then after that, it seemed like he was thrust into crisis. What is the attitude that you ought to adopt when you know that you've been chosen, but where you are does not match where you believe God is taking you? One of the great challenges of being chosen is the attitude one ought to adopt, especially when you realize that you're chosen. Being chosen expresses a special relationship initiated by the chooser's prerogative. It is when the chosen is sought out without request. Attitude defines a disposition. It is a neutral term that can either be positive or negative. It is a mentality. It is a state of mind. It is the pattern of thinking that evokes an emotional response that demonstrates approval or disgust. To adopt an attitude is to change your mind. Adoption of an attitude requires abandonment of a previous attitude. That's the problem with many of us. We want to adopt a new attitude, but we don't want to, uh, what's the word, cast out or evict our former attitude. Adoption of an attitude requires abandonment of a previous attitude. Attitude adjustment is often tied to adjustments in circumstances, but that is not necessary. To adopt a new attitude is is to augment one's perspective on a situation or a circumstance, even though the circumstance or situation remains unchanged. Let me say that again. To adopt a new attitude is to augment or change one's perspective on a situation or a circumstance, even though the circumstance or situation remains unchanged. Your thinking is the template upon which you can chart your future. When God chooses you, he doesn't just want to fix your circumstance. He's intending to fix you. And your thinking is the acid test of your future actions. All that David had been promised, all that he had suffered from youth to adulthood, the oppression and the opposition that he had faced constituted a journey that was an emotional, emotionally and psychologically taxing. He literally had to go through an extended period of exile and scorn by the most powerful man in Israel, all while having the secret knowledge of being chosen to be the next king of Israel and to replace the man whom he was growing to admire and his son Jonathan, the natural heir to the same throne that David was confirmed for and with whom David had developed a powerful friendship. The prophetic words that have been spoken over his life as a teenager, I believe around the age of 16, had so suddenly come to fruition. For years, due to the adversity that he had faced in direct proportion to the immensity of the promise that was spoken over him, David had battled thoughts of failure. He had battled thoughts of defeat. He had battled thoughts of renunciation of the anointing and downright giving up. If David felt like renunciating it all, if David felt like a failure at times in his journey towards the throne, if David felt defeated, 
There's a story of when David and his men got to Ziklag and the Bible said that the men were so uh, depressed by the circumstances that they witnessed. They saw that all their wives had been taken, their children had been taken, their goods had been taken, and they were ready to stone David because they said we had given it up all, all for you. And now this, David was in a place where he could have given up. But the Bible says, he encouraged himself in the Lord. And then he went to the Lord and he asked a simple question. Shall I pursue? And the response for God was simply pursue for you shall surely recover it all. He had gone through the gamut of emotions in terms of his respect and love for Saul and Jonathan, respectively, as well as for the nation of his birth, Israel. David, more than anyone in Israel at this time, understood the significance of this tragedy. It was an oxymoronic mixture of tragedy and triumph, an enemy that he had grown to strangely love, a covenant brother that he had highly regarded were now both dead. He was mourning, but at the same time, God was divinely shifting him into his greatest moment, into his greatest season, he would finally become king. It marked an end to the Benjamite kings and the beginning of the Davidic line of kings. David was literally going to witness something he had never seen before. Israel had only known Benjamite kings. The only king was Saul. So the Benjamite tribe had become the kingly tribe and God shifted. How many of you understand that sometimes when you're chosen, your chosenness is so opposite or so contradictory or so contrary to what exists. It is often that God is desiring to bring something to pass that has never been seen before. The scripture says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have entered into the hearts of men what God has prepared for them that he loves. As I consider the story of David, I'm reminded of a line from the book, The, Be the Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Woe by Juno Diaz that says, if you didn't grow up like I did, then you just don't know. And if you don't know, it's probably better that you don't judge. David was in the unique position of being chosen for a great task in the most simple of ways. It was difficult for others to really judge David's journey to the throne because they had no clue of the intricacies of what he had to go through. And you've got to adopt that same attitude. Folk have no clue of what you have been through. They might live in the same neighborhood. They might live in the same projects. They might live in the apartment next door. Guess what? They might live in the same apartment, but they have not lived in your flesh. They have not walked and looked through your eyes at the world. And so you've got to understand what God is doing for you is for you. And what he's doing for others is for others. And even when God speaks something for your future and a promise into your life that seems outrageously different from anything you've seen before, know that it has nothing with, to do with your capacity. It has all to do with God. As David went through, he did not only learn about himself, he also learned about how God Worked. Knowing God without knowing our own wretchedness, without knowing our own faults, without knowing our own frailties, without knowing our little idiosyncrasies will make for pride. But knowing our wretchedness, how messed up we really are, without knowing God makes for despair. 
We would always be depressed. We would always be disgusted with how we've missed it. But knowing Jesus Christ and what God sought to accomplish through him for us, that strikes the balance. That gives us the ear to breathe. That gives us the assurance that I can recover from this because he in so doing shows us both God greatness and our own wretchedness. Just recently, I was watching a comedian on in his onstage act talking about when he was a kid. It brought back some memories. He was recounting the childhood pain of being chosen last for the pickup baseball game. The two captains would jump to their feet. They weren't necessarily the best players, but they're the most outspoken. They're the ones with the most social capital, the ones that we most like. The comedian was recollecting the torturous experience of being among the last two to be chosen. Jimmy always went first. Jimmy was tall. He was slim. He was athletically built. He, he could run. He could throw. Jimmy could jump. Then there was Johnny. He wasn't as tall as Jimmy, but he was as quick as Jimmy and had a good arm. And next was Tristan. He was acrobatic. He was always doing flips. He was always jumping from some tree or some fence, doing something that brought fear out of the others. There were any number of guys with differing talents who were vying for the attention of the two captains and that got chosen before me, thought the comedian. And when the captains got down to their last two choices, it was always a grudging choice. And there he sat slightly overweight next to the slow kid and they need someone to stick all the way out in right field where the ball never went. And the words he heard were you and you. The comedian recounted that they were usually dealt with negligence. Just once, I would have liked to have been picked first. Glasses and all, uncoordinated and all, weak arms and all. Just once, why couldn't I have been chosen with enthusiasm because they saw value in choosing me, thought the comedian. By this time, the audience was rolling as they were collectively recalling the same experiences from their childhood. Have you ever felt like this, comedian? Did you ever think as an adult about the fact that if you were as valuable to God as the scriptures teach, that he would have chosen you already and with enthusiasm? Have you, like me, wrestled with the likelihood of being his choice? I'll leave you with this. David was not Israel's first choice, Saul was. But when God decided to replace Saul, God chose David. David was not the people's choice. He was God's choice. And David was not number one. He was number two. This is the 15 minute lunch break with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon signing off. And until next time, remember this, it's okay to be chosen next. And don't just be chosen, act like it. Tune in to the Bridging the Gap radio show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Be a part of this challenging but life-changing show discussing men versus males, educational issues, parenting tips, and learning how to be faithful in trying times. That's the Bridging the Gap radio show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. Call in and be a part of the show at 347-855-8255.
888-627-8867 on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Remember, positive communication is the key to success. Powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network.